Hi everybody, I am Peter Travers. This is Popcorn where we tell you what's happening at the movies and there's an extraordinary movie right now called 1917 directed by my guest Sam Mendes who of course when he began with making movies with American Beauty in 1999 he won the Oscar for it, you know, so <laughs> where are the mountains to climb, Sam? <laughs> what is it? It's just... Well, I, I, first of all, I want to say thank you for putting my movie just over my left shoulder. Just here. right very there, nice. yes. Very convenient. <laughs> I think you just move them around depending on who's, who's no, on I'm the not. show. No, I'm not. We're, we're just permanently not there. expert enough to well. do that. <laughs> so you could just keep moving back so that we can see that that's there to do. Uh, I kind of decided to treat it like a bank loan, winning the you know, Academy Award for my first movie. I thought, I'm going to have to pay this back over years and still trying to keep learning and don't treat it as if it means that I know what I'm doing entirely and keep <laughs> testing myself, you know? It is, but I remember talking to you about this back in the day yeah. and I remember you saying the first scene I was doing, I just, I thought I'd be fired or I'd be quick. It was with uh, Spacey pretending he's selling hamburgers. Yeah, absolutely. well remembered. Yeah. It was so bad. Yeah, it was, it was, it was my big luck was that it was bad in every regard. It wasn't just performance or just the set or just the handling of the background or just where I put the camera. It was all of those things. But joking aside, that was a big moment for me. I mean, the first two days were a bit of a disaster, but it was so clear to me that what was wrong that in a way it it clarified what I wanted to do with it. And I was able to go to the studio and say, listen, you know, I think that everything about the first two days is wrong. Will you let me redo them? And I was so confident about what I did want to do because of that that they kind of let me get, let me do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and from then on, it, it got better. You know, I didn't hit my stride for a couple of weeks, but definitely those first two days were a, a very steep learning curve. See? And everything's a learning experience, yeah. which leads you the to... The journey, not the destination, the Peter, right? No, not that. No, God, no. <laughs> it's all about the journey. But 1917 is in so many ways, though. Um, you look at it and you say, how'd they do that? And then in a few minutes after this movie is, is perceived as one continuous take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you, what trickery you do that. But at the same time, you look at it and you admire that technique, but you get lost in these guys and yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, well, so, that's the goal. That's yeah. the goal. Yeah. I mean, you know, you don't want people coming and watching what the camera is doing. You, you want them to forget about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might be aware of it when the movie starts, but I think quite shortly after that, you just get lost in, in the story. And the, because the story is two hours of real time and they are experiencing the clock ticking down and you realize very shortly as, as an audience that you're going to experience every second passing with them and take every step on the journey. There's no chance you're going to cut 200 yards down the hill or jump half an hour in time. You're going to have to, you're in it whether you like it or not then I think you start watching in a different way. I hope you start watching in a different way. And you make something that's immersive. It's an overused word now. But what you want to do is immerse somebody in the environment, you know, and, and make people look at it with new eyes and not always tell them exactly where to look or how. Um, so you begin to treat it as if you're traveling through the world too. Well, you do. But, of course, you wanted to set that challenge for yourself. Yeah, it's also a that good challenge. That would torture the whole crew and the actors. <laughs> In the series of long takes, but set up, if you will, what's actually happening in 1917, what the assignment is for these two Lance Corporals uh, and what they're told to do. They're asked to carry a message across no man's land and into enemy territory, which has recently been abandoned. 
at this particular point in 1917, the Germans retreated to the Hindenburg Line and this land that was fought over for years suddenly is empty. And the Germans have left behind booby traps and tripwires and snipers. But otherwise, it's an empty land. Um, and they're tasked with delivering this message before dawn the next day to potentially save the lives of 1,600 people. Blake's brother amongst them. One of the characters' brothers is, is amongst that 1,600. And it's what happens to them on that journey. What was the inspiration to do it? Well, the inspiration was twofold. I mean, there was a personal inspiration, which is my grandfather fought in the First World War. The movie's dedicated to him. He was 17, year old, he was 17 years old when he, when he enlisted. But so he never young. spoke about his experiences to his own children. It took 50 or 60 years before he was ready to talk about it. And in his late 70s, he decided to tell the stories to us, to his grandchildren. And so I suppose they were formative experiences being told those stories. So there was that personal inspiration, but there was also a kind of a sense that I had been, I'd found myself after the Bond movies kind of trapped in, in this multiple plot, multiple camera, plate spinning exercise that is making a giant franchise movie. And so some of it was a reaction against that towards single camera, real time, very linear storytelling following just one figure rather than multiple characters. And I think that what I learned on the Bond movies, which were a great adventure for me, um, but also I learned about things that I perhaps didn't want to do or traps that I was falling into. So there was another challenge as well, which is how to make a story that has a purity of shape and form um, that is kind of um, something that you can't touch in the editing room. You know, you, can't, you have to make it on the day with the people involved. Still, there were days when I thought, why have I done this to myself? Um, and there, those days tended to be, you know, let's say we have a six or seven minute take and six minutes of it is magic. And then the camera operator trips or someone's lighter doesn't work or, or you know, uh, someone forgets a line, just human error. And you can't use any of that six minutes of magic, any of it. And you're so used to, as a filmmaker, thinking, well, I've got that. I can use that bit and this bit and that bit mm-hmm. and putting it together. But here you had to start again and do it all again. And sometimes it takes five or six takes just to get back to what you had in that one take. So it can be I'm a very frustrating. now just yeah. listening to yeah. you. <laughs> what was going on? But I could see you then torturing these two actors by saying, no, I didn't this like that. This is the second that. time you've used the word torture. I, have you know, I think you have a very particular idea of me as a director. be something. Talk about these two guys, these, these wonderful actors that play these characters. Well, I mean, I, I wanted two actors that, relatively speaking, were new to the game. And, and so audience, not Brad and Leo. Exactly. Yeah. I, I did. I mean, they had to be young. So mm-hmm. I, I hate to say, tell you this, but Brad and Leo are not, are not young anymore. Um, but I, so there was that. And, and I wanted that feeling that they were two amongst two million. You know, there was nothing initially special about them. It's only when you begin to go on their journey with them that you realize how special they are. And any acts of heroism are accidental in mm-hmm. a way. Um, so I wanted, I wanted two very different types. I wanted a, a, a solitary, a bit of a loner, very quiet, introverted, quite English, reserved, um, and, and dignified man who had been there a little longer and seen a bit more. That's George Mackay as Schofield. And then I wanted a younger, more vulnerable, chatty, warm, um, but someone who hadn't seen that much action. And from a different class, mm-hmm. a more working class character, and that's Dean Charles Chapman as Blake. And that kind of unlikely friendship that develops in war, in a war situation between people who in civilian life probably wouldn't ever even meet, let mm-hmm. alone become friends. 
and they don't really know why they're friends in a way that they just are drawn together and they end up on this journey almost accidentally um, together and then at the same time I wanted the figures that they met these figures of authority and status uh, to be people who had that kind of weight as actors so that's where Colin Firth, Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Scott, Mark Strong, Richard Madden, these actors are perhaps that you're more familiar with, mm -hmm. come in. But I, I have to say the irony of it appealed to me that, that the unknowns are the central characters and it's the known actors, the more known actors that you pass through, you know? What a torture did you put them through uh, in their auditions or did you just I'm see detecting them before? A theme here. Yeah, here it is. Well, I'm just going to keep saying it, you know. Their auditions were they waiting were pretty, for callbacks yeah. constantly over months at a time. It wasn't too onerous that that whole thing. I mean, I did audition them, you know, maybe three or four times each and put them together right at the end. Um, the tricky stuff was rehearsals because we had to measure every step of the journey before we built the sets, before mm -hmm. we constructed the landscape that they walk on. So we started this process with them with scripts in their hands on empty fields, walking and planting flags in the ground for where the trenches would be, where no man's land would be, and then getting into specifics. They turn left here, they turn right there, they stop here, there's a crater there, there's a trench there. And then you had to do that for every single step of the journey for quarries and farmhouses and canals and towns at night and only then could you start constructing the set so everything was built around the actors everything was built around the narrative um, and within that I was having to judge, judge long periods where they weren't speaking which actually for me was the most difficult part having the courage to, to have periods of silence the mm -hmm. quieter parts of the movie because I wanted the movie to breathe in and breathe out and have a sense of ebb and flow and not just be trapped in this one pace um, so that was what we had to do in rehearsal. So I think the most tricky part of it for them was living it for months and, and in, in costume the entire time, in uniform the entire time, handling their weapons and what have you. And then when you shoot, you want this mixture of precision. Obviously, the dance of the camera is very, very precise. The rigs we're shooting on you know, have to be very carefully planned. But at the same time, you want spontaneity in front of the camera. You don't want people just robotically going mm -hmm. through moves that they've learned for months. So you're giving them things that, that change it slightly, mess it up slightly, and hoping really for happy accidents, you know. And, and there were lots of happy accidents. Weather and conditions change, you know, people fall over in the mud, animals behave differently, babies behave differently, people are knocked off their feet. I mean, there's a moment at the end of the movie where George Mackay is running in the last stage of the journey, which if you've seen the trailer, you'll see, and he's knocked off his feet, and mm -hmm. that was not planned. He, that was just a very, very over-enthusiastic extra who thought this is one take and I better get it right and was you know adrenaline it wasn't the torture theme no, where you said I, to didn't, the I want you to know right? I didn't do that I didn't to George Mackay run him over <laughs> well he's going in the opposite direction which is great they're all going and they're perpendicular to this yeah I mean you don't take a breath during this movie you well, don't good and good see so yeah. torture the audience yes, too. well that's that's a whole different <clears throat> yeah that's thing. it where did you shoot this we shot it mostly on Salisbury Plain in, in the west of England, which is a kind of, uh, it's where Stonehenge is. Mm -hmm. So it's above, it's a thousand feet above sea level, but it's very flat, sort of primeval landscape in a way. And it's most, mostly military lands, there's no building on it at all, and the sky kind of disappears over the horizon, you have these huge skies, big lowering skies. But of course, it's designed to replicate the, the landscapes of northern France where the First World War was fought, in the case of the Western Front. And, uh, but, of course, if you, if you can't shoot in the real locations because they're all heritage sites, protected land now because of what happened there. You know, 
there's a lot of talk about the how we made the movie, Peter, but the, the, the more interesting question on some level is the why. And yes, it was influenced by my grandfather, but it's also about a world that's not dissimilar to what we're going through now. You know, the winds that were blowing before the first war are blowing again. They were fighting for a free and unified Europe. We mm. achieved that. That is now in question again. You know, it's a war with no obvious baddie, unlike the Second World War. There's no Nazis you can, everyone can point out and say, well, basically they're mm-hmm. the bad guy. Everyone, to some degree in the First World War, was innocent. It was a colossal catastrophe. 16 million dead uh, in five years, civilians and soldiers. And it's falling out of living memory now. It's, it's, it's a war in which we, the entire, uh, of, the whole of Europe lost a generation. as a missing generation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we do well to remember these things now. There are lessons that we can learn still from history. And, and one of them is how to stop it happening again. You know, there are other movies made about the Great War. I thought mostly of uh, Kubrick's Paths of Glory because of the trenches yeah. and the way that moves. And yet this moving camera which is a technique, which is following them through in what looks like one take, is also keeps you in, with them in a way yeah. <laughs> that you just wouldn't feel otherwise. And we, we've seen that people have done this, what looks like a continuous take before, most recently in uh, Birdman, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But it's not a war, you know? It's just... Yeah, it's and, not. and it, I mean, I, that was a movie I loved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a movie that was closer in its spirit, I, I was very a big fan of Alfonso Cuaron's movie, Children of Men, mm-hmm. which, you know, it, it, there were long, continuous takes. It was not one shot, the movie. Mm-hmm. But, but I felt absolutely um, gripped by, you know, the, 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 the combination of content and form being one, one thing, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, you are constantly trying to... You know, without wanting to be simplistic about it, we go through life in one shot, right? We we travel, well, we experience the world as one continuous mm-hmm. thread. It's editing that is the gimmick. Editing is the given now in movie making. Oh well, we edit because we edit. Well, really, if you need to jump time and space, sure, edit. But do you need to edit so you see every single line of dialogue back and forth incessantly? And and sometimes that's the that's the case. It's the right way to tell the story. But not always. And sometimes one's default position as a movie director is just to say, well, I know how to cover the scene. Close up, close up, over the shoulder, over the shoulder, two shot, moving <laughs> shot, boom, 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 12 setups, let's yeah. go, you know. And, you know, let's break for lunch. I mean, and, it, and it, it, before you know it, it's become just a pattern you fall into. Mm-hmm. And working in this way, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's your taste or not to your taste, you can't argue that it, it doesn't force you as a filmmaker to try to find new and different ways for the camera to express story, which is what we're up to the whole time. You know, you're trying to find a way for this, this weird dance that goes on between the camera, the characters, and the landscape to express things in a new and different way. Mm-hmm. And that feeling that you have in a, as an audience, I hope, that you can't escape this journey, that once you realize unconsciously we're in this, there's no way out. Mm-hmm. You know, then suddenly you begin to experience time differently. Your eye begins to wander over image differently. You relate to character differently. You know, that is one of the reasons why what you're describing is torture. <laughs> is that's that constant feeling of being pulled through the movie by a gravitational force rather than being presented with image the whole time. It's true, but I mean, I think of you. I'm looking at you and, you know, I'm already probably out of time and yet I haven't even dealt with you in terms of the theater and what you do. I can't even, Don Mar, uh, Royal, everything that you've done, the classics. 
you can't usually do that. We, a Bond movie, like you've done two. Oh, the only Oscar-winning director to direct a Bond film, and so he does two of them, you know? <laughs> that would, you would learn on the job a lot of the tricks. But Skyfall and Spectre have their own differences. But in the theater, you really can't cut away. You, there is no editing, you yeah. know? That's where you come from. That's yeah. what I feel in it. Yeah. I don't ever see in your work a, a, a style that says... This is Sam Mendes that did this. But I see you just like thrusting yourself into these different worlds that are there, which is a great thing to do. You look happy about your life yeah. and what you're well, doing. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of this movie. And, and, you know, I know enough to know what it feels like when your movie is not, people are not excited about your movie to feel oh, the difference. Oh, no, that's true. true. You know, I've trotted around the world with people going, yeah. Yeah, well done. It's, it's you know we enjoyed it. <laughs> Tell me about American Beauty. You know that's what you know, and it's that's what it feels like. So sometimes you know, um, so I, I, for me it's it's lovely to have people debating the film and talking about it and excited about it. So so that that's great. But you know, um, I never wanted to be a filmmaker who had a single style. I, I, I mean that's not I'm not a writer director until this movie, <laughs> so I don't write my own work. And I wanted each one to be a different set of challenges. A different mountain to climb, and, and I worked in all sorts of genres. Yes, I've done franchise movies, two of them, but I, the movie I did before that was the ti- a tiny independent movie that was under ten million dollars. And you know, for me, each one is a totally new series of tests. And it's only now that I think all of those things are getting combined, both theatre and film, into something that is a unified style. And so it's not by chance that this was the one that I wrote, if you know what I mean. Let's take a question or two from the outside oh, world yeah. instead of just me. Kyle Kay says, what advice do you have for making it in the film industry as a director? Yeah, what is that? How did you do it? Gosh, <laughs> how long have you got? <laughs> well, um, I think you have to have a story to tell, and I think you have to um, work out what it is. Uh, and I know that sounds simplistic, but you've got to have something to say. I think there are when I was growing up in movies, I realized with a lot of great filmmakers that there weren't many great storytellers. And for me, story is the thing that comes first. So don't concentrate too much on style until you know what the story is. And then try and match the style to the content. That would be my, my first thing. I think people get obsessed with... This is ironic coming from me. I've just made a movie as one shot. But, <laughs> you know, technique and style and, you know... But they don't really have anything to say. And uh, I think that that would be my, my first thing. All right. One more question. Uh, Max Lives. <laughs> How does your approach to direction change when directing something for either the screen or the stage? I think you kind of described what that was. Yeah. I think that I, um, I, I treat rehearsing with actors quite different. You know, in, 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 uh, on the stage, you really are. It's, it's like... Um, making a, a pot, you know, it's, it's this constant moulding of a single shape which then has to be fired in a kill, it has to remain. So you're <laughs> sort of aware, you're trying to make the actor aware of shape the whole time because they're going to have to repeat it. And so you have to engage that outside eye. They can't just do something accidentally that's <laughs> brilliant and then not remember. So they're always both in and outside at the same time. On screen, you're kind of doing the opposite. You're saying... Don't look at yourself. Don't be self-conscious. Embrace accident. You only have to do it once, you know, and don't think too much about it. Just, just be in it. Be in the moment. Live it somehow. 
And that is quite different. And so in that respect, that's more like a mosaic. I always think a film as a mosaic is that, you know, you're making thousands of different pieces and then later, this is a normal film, not, mm-hmm. not this one, mind you. And it's later on you put... you take all the pieces out and try and put them together like a jigsaw in, and form a picture yeah. and the actor is often not aware of the f- picture that you're forming you know whereas on stage they have to be so yeah a pot or a jigsaw look at that a pot or a jigsaw well Sam this is the first time you've been on this show so you don't know we always end in song <laughs> <coughs> look at him laughing the director of so many musicals and not only your cabaret that was there but what, why are you laughing? I'm sure that you where sing. Where the girl? Where are the dancing girls? Where are they? Where are they happening? Bring on the dancing girls. You have girls. a moment in 1917 where we listen to Wayfaring Stranger. Yeah. Was it can a song you, give you us, knew? Oh, I did know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Most but people do. Can you give us a little of that? Are you serious? I am serious. Everyone does I'm it. Just... De Niro wouldn't stop singing. Poor Wayfaring Stranger, I'm traveling through this world of woe. Yet there's no something for no danger in that bright land to which I go. See, I am going back to see my mother. Yeah, eat your heart out, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't do that. No, <laughs> Sam, thank you. Oh, thank you, Peter.